Dr. Ryan Stanton here with ASEP Frontline, uh, recording in Chattanooga, Tennessee, with the Tennessee ASEP Conference. And uh, Dr. David Seberg, uh, probably one of the first leadership position folks I knew with ASEP through the PR committee, joining up probably about eight years ago now. Uh, I don't know if it was right before you became president or as you were president. It was probably right before. I, right I was before. president in 11 in 2011 and 12. Okay, so that would have been, yeah, it would have been the year or two before when we uh, joined up on the PR committee. Um, so somebody I've had connections with the, uh, the entire time uh, through this ASAP adventure. And uh, now joining me to uh, talk some cash, talk, talk some money, uh, really value-based money and uh, the future of emergency medicine, a talk you're giving here at the conference. And um, it, I think it's really, the future of emergency medicine is such a toss-up. We don't know where it's going. Of course, I don't think anybody knows where anything's going with before the election, and I don't think after the election it's made it much better um, in terms of knowing where things are going. But give us an idea behind the talk, uh, where you got the idea, and uh, kind of that capsule summary of, of what to expect. Sure, Ryan. Thanks uh, for the invitation. I, I don't think we know exactly where, where emergency medicine is going or medicine, but but there's definitely a push for more value-based medicine. It's a, been a bipartisan support uh, for this over the years. It really is probably the right way to practice medicine in a more coordinated, value-based. You can't really argue that. You can maybe argue some of the, the metrics and the uh, bureaucracy behind it. But in, in reality, we need to provide better coordinated care to keep our patients well. And that's really the, the essence behind value-based care. And, and medicine is, is heading towards a value-based medicine or value-based care model. And what that really means is value is quality plus service excellence divided by cost. And it's really achieving the triple aim of better outcomes, lower costs, and a better patient experience. And so historically, uh, emergency medicine hasn't fit into that model. We're, we've been acute care, specialty, uh, episodic, but we now, uh, and it started really before my presidency, but it was really a, a large portion of my ASAP presidency to talk about emergency medicine moving into the value-based world, being part of the medical neighborhood. And I think at this point, a juncture with the new laws coming in, MACRA, uh, we don't know exactly where emergency medicine is going to fit in, but I think we can take a leadership role in that, in, in improving value-based care. The concern would be if we're not part of the conversation and not at the table, we're going to be sitting in the corner fighting for scraps um, when it comes to this organized care. And, you know, we would try to educate people more and more as we go that the emergency room is no longer just that little <laughs> side the sidebar in the hospital where the specialist or the admitting docs come to see their patients that call them and say come in and get checked out. It's now not only um, more and more being driven there, but it's becoming it's becoming the hub of the healthcare system because it's where most people turn, not only with acute conditions, but when they have nowhere else to go, filling in that gap, that safety net, and then um, you know the aviation uh, reference of being the uh, air traffic control of medicine trying to get people when and where they need to be, whether it's in the hospital, in the clinic, out the door, home, wherever that may be. So how does emergency medicine fit in into this and what does it mean? I mean, what are the factors 
for emergency medicine, they're going to play into uh, a value-based medicine model? Well, I think you have to look at what the value of emergency medicine is. And historically, again, we've been the acute diagnostic center. Uh, we are the, the rapid treatment center. Uh, in a lot of ways, that provides value in that it reduces people's uh, time to diagnosis, time for uh, reduced uh, for pain, con uh, improved pain control, gives them a sense of relief, and probably increases the productivity of Americans, which has never really been measured, but I think is a true value for emergency medicine. Where I think we have to step into the role is more in the transitions of care. We will always be providing the acute episodic care. But the next phase for emergency medicine is how can we improve the transitions of care? As you mentioned, we are, we are the, the hub of the enterprise, and, but, and we are the portal of entry for most patients into the healthcare system. Not only do we have 140 million visits, but we have probably 140 million visitors that come with those mm -hmm. patients. We have access to nearly 300 million people a year. In addition, now, over 70% of all hospital admissions come through the emergency department. We truly are the front door. But with that front door comes a responsibility of, of perhaps coordinating care better and helping provide transitions of care. And I think we're going to see this with the new laws coming in, with MACRA in particular. Hospitals and physicians are now going to be getting paid in how they help coordinate care better and provide quality and all the other metrics that will be necessary. And with that will also come the help responsibility to reduce unnecessary admissions and reduce readmissions, of which the hospital will get penalized. I don't know that most healthcare systems know how to do this well. I don't think they really look at the emergency department as a way as a means to uh, improve value-based care. So I think now's a time, especially with macro coming in, where we can really take a leadership role with the hospital to help improve transitions of care. So define quickly for those that uh, don't know the, uh, the uh, political jargon macro. <clears throat> Sure. MACRA was a law passed in 2015. It actually stands for the Medicare Access and Children's Health Insurance Program Reauthorization Act. And basically what it establishes is moving from a fee-for-service to a pay-for-performance. There are two areas under MACRA um, that have been established. One is MIPS, which is uh, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System. The majority of physicians, over 80%, will be involved in MIPS. The other portion of MACR was for establishment of alternative payment methods, or APMs. That, that will, really there's only three APMs available, and that's AC, if you've formed a, an accountable care organization, but actually of the pioneer accountable care organizations, almost none of them qualify under the new ACOs because you have to have both upside and downside risk. Uh, medical homes or bundled payments. Um, those are the three uh, alternative payment models. In the future, that might become something more, but uh, most of us are going to be living under the merit-based incentive uh, program. It's a pay for performance. MIPS is really reducing the penalties against you, mm -hmm. whereas um, the alternative payment methods is reducing the risk of the patient. So one, we're going to be living in a reducing a penalty world. And so 
we've all been under this now. We have quality metrics right now through the physician uh, quality reporting system. Your hospital has meaningful use requirements. Uh, they're also the hospital's value-based uh, modifiers based on their payment, based on readmissions, the resource utilization, quality and patient safety metrics. All these systems are going to be going into four new different systems under, or four different areas under the merit-based incentive uh, payment system. One is going to be quality, uh, and, and each specialty will have their quality metrics. Second is resource utilization. That will be calculated by CMS and compare your overall utilization versus benchmarks that will mm -hmm. hopefully be well risk adjusted. And then there's two new uh, areas. One is clinical practice improvement, which is um, looking at ways to improve the healthcare system, either through expanded practice or practice times, population health, uh, clinical care coordination or more community um, or beneficiary engagement. And the second is advancing care initiatives, which is sort of a, a meaningful use on steroids. It's putting together your electronic uh, health records, electronic prescribing, giving patients access to their medical records, using uh, health informatics to better care coordinate. The, this has already started as of January 1st, you're under a MIPS, um, mm -hmm. and you can you know, lose up to 4% or gain up to 4% uh, by 2019. Uh, so this is already being measured. Most emergency physicians aren't aware of this. Most hospitals aren't aware of this. There are some you know, things that you can do uh, initially um, to start looking at your quality metrics. There are ways that you can look at what you've already reported. So there's really not a big big change till 2019, but the whole movement is to move again from a fee-for-service to a paying-for-value. Mm -hmm. And so I think there are a lot of things that emergency medicine can do, not only to look at, at MACRA and, and their merit-based incentive pay, but how, to, how we can better coordinate care. So the community physician is sitting out there right now overwhelmed. They may, they may have already changed direction from the gym to the bar. Um, in order to, you know, to, to digest this. What does, what does this mean for the individual community physician out there, the person that may be in a rural hospital, you know, busting their tail for their, for their community? Um, what does this mean for them from a change in expectation, uh, reimbursement or whatnot standpoint? And also, what can we do to uh, kind of get on the horse and, sure. and know how to ride it? Sure. Well, over time, I think your reimbursement and it's not going to be right away but over time you also have to remember some areas in the country are much farther ahead because they've already moved into value-based contracting with their their third-party payers we in the in the southeast frankly have not advanced that far uh, down that so there there will be different time frames for for individuals but by 2019 there is a possibility you your group if you don't do certain things may get a decrease um, in reimbursement so how we've been paid before is you um, you work your you, you calculate your work RVUs and it was multiplied by a dollar amount per RVU I think in the future, productivity will still be important, but I think quality and, and frankly, the advancing care initiatives and uh, clinical practice improvements uh, and quality metrics are all going to be part of that 
that payment for work RVU. So I think you need to start looking ahead on how you can um, participate in the quality metrics. What are some things you're doing in terms of care coordination or transition of care? I think one easy thing your group could do, although you know it, it may not be as easy, but you know getting involved in a clinical data registry like ASEPS Clinical Emergency Data Registry will give you automatic points in your MIPS in in advancing uh, clinical um, initiatives. Um, so looking at at exploring uh, a registry will also be helpful, um, but ultimately. Again, I don't think hospitals and groups really know how to prepare for this. So I see that as an opportunity for emergency medicine. Mm -hmm. Perhaps this is the time you should look at putting patient navigators or, or running a patient navigator through your emergency department. We're doing some studies here at the University of Tennessee that show patient navigator markedly decreased costs as well as uh, future ED visits. Uh, we had a control group to that. So doing uh, navigation. Uh, some groups are even looking at maybe we should start a, um, a follow-up uh, office in our emergency department that can help coordinate care, follow up on tests, maybe even follow up on suture removal, abscess removal, but then getting people into a more coordinated system of care. That's hard for the doctor when they're working in the back mm -hmm. to be doing all this. We need to create a system around the emergency department that allows for better transitions of care and care coordination. You should be having standardized notes to your skilled nursing facilities. Uh, even uh, another area that I think is going to be a, a large area is telemedicine. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at maybe in the future having a navigation, follow-up center, and a telemedicine center in our emergency department. That would meet most of the requirements for our advancing care initiatives and clinical practice improvement. It, it gives Hospital administrators are always looking for solutions. They, they hear enough problems. They don't want to hear about the problems. And there are obviously a cost to this, and maybe the return on investment in your area right now, because you know value-based contract hasn't moved in as much, but ultimately, they're going to be looking for solutions. So now's our time to step on up to this. I think emergency medicine should own telemedicine. Mm -hmm. I think we should be owning patient navigation. I think we should be owning transitions of care from our, our portal of entry called the emergency department. I think there's a lot of things that we could do. Uh, some areas are even looking at uh, community paramedics mm -hmm. as a way to improve the coordination of care and reducing admissions or readmissions to the hospital. These are all things that, yes, they take time, yes, they take resources, but if you come in with a, a, a thought-out plan to your hospital administration, right now they're looking for things like this. Well, that's the challenge, though, is, is where we've been with this very fragmented system is the cost associated with the disorganization is more expensive than the cost of us actually investing in organizing it and getting it getting it right. You mentioned community paramedicine. You know, up until more recent times, medicine stopped. You know, the the traditional medicine of physicians nurses stopped at the you know the at the uh, corner mortise of the hospital, and it was EMS there, and then they came into our world and transitioned into our world. And so our community is now attempting community paramedicine 
The state hasn't caught up with its protocols on how they're going to management or approve it yet, but I think we're using it as a, as a test site to see how that works. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's very much taking away the traditional silos and borders of medicine and breaking those down and figuring out how to work them out. Honestly, why don't we have um, clinical care uh, coordinators or navigators in the emergency department? It, it seems like they should almost be centered there as opposed to in the hospital and occasionally frequent in the ER. Yeah, well, I think they should have both. They should have yeah. some navigators, certainly in the hospital for the inpatient mm -hmm. world, but we send out a lot of patients. We have a lot of patients that, that have um, psychosocial issues that if we could take care of some of those, they may reduce their, their visits um, and their cost. I think a lot of this, Ryan, we haven't done the research where we should yet. Um, I don't know if we really have great um, numbers on the return on investment. Our study will show though, for a full, what we had one navigator in our department, it cost about 40,000 a year, saved $800,000. Um, reduced um, uh, ED use by 13%. Mm -hmm. um, and actually increased primary care visits by 50%. So there are things that we can do. And we are, in, again, we are that hub of the enterprise. We, we now need to look beyond just our acute care capabilities and going out into the transitions of care and finding some solutions. We, we really are, you know, very innovative in emergency medicine. I think, you know, this is an opportunity for us that we should take. You mentioned a little bit ago, and I bounced back to it, um, the data registry. So for the emergency medicine, the data registry, I don't know that many people realize that as ASEP members or affiliations ASEP that one of the opportunities for the group is this, which is cut down to CEDAR, um, is an opportunity. Give, give me a little bit of information on that and what it means and why it's important to get involved with that as opposed to letting it ride with what may come from government. Well, I think we need to be able to control our destiny. And I think uh, one of the best ways to do that in, in looking at, you know, initially we're going to be looking at mainly throughput measures, process measures, through a collection of data. And there's, there's you know, uh, a data set that is collected and analyzed, and you can compare yourself to similar benchmarks across this country. Most specialties are right now are looking at developing a data registry. ASEP spent a lot of time uh, looking at this over the years, even started you know, before I was president. But really have come up, we, we partnered with a, a, a company that gives a, uh, a very secure, um, high level security data registry. And there's two ways you can either have, there's a program that will actually um, push the data out to the data registry, so you all you have to do is install that program. Or, you know, unfortunately, still a lot of IT centers are are unwilling to to do that, even though we have such high security. So there's a way to to again download data and then have it pulled out to the to the uh, company. But this will meet this will meet your MIPS uh, criteria or alternative payment methodology. It's something we as a specialty we need to start looking at our metrics, not ha not. Ha you know, there's a real problem with looking at, at billing data. Billing data doesn't capture really what we do. Um, not to the extent we, we need the detail. It's not, it's not as granular as we need. So having our own data registry that we can look at, 
we can work with, we can report out to the government agencies. I think emergency medicine needs to own that. Ultimately, I think I see the data registry to look beyond just process measures to looking at outcome measures. Why is perhaps uh, CHF uh, mortality less in the Northeast than the Southeast? How can we go about really improving patient outcomes? Um, it's going to require a data register. We can't get that from, from current data systems. Emergency medicine needs to own this. And the nice thing is, you know, participating in a system like that, the data, data registry, you're actually being uh, compared and lifted up to stuff that was determined as being important by emergency physicians. Right. As opposed to... Well, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if we start collecting this data and reporting it, we can control the metrics, such as the quality metrics we want to report, process measures, times. We can control that rather than having government entities come to us and telling us, you know, this is what they want. We, got, we need to be more in the driver's seat, and a registry like this will be huge for emergency medicine. So where do uh, listeners get more information on value-based medicine? And uh, how can they contact you if they have questions? Well, I, you know, I think you can get onto the ASEP website. There's a lot of information on value-based. I definitely would look at the, the CEDAR, the Clinical Emergency Data Registry, CEDR, um, you, and see if your institution wants to participate that. Um, certainly, uh, you can reach me uh, at dcberg at asep.org. Um, is uh, my website or my, my email address. Um, I think, you know, getting on to CMS and understanding MACRA um, and what that implications are for you. There are, no, um, there are some information on the ASEP website. I just spoke at the Emergency Department Benchmarks Alliance on, uh, and had other speakers about MACRA um, and spoke at a meeting down in, uh, to the Florida College of Emergency Physicians on their reimbursement. A lot of people out there trying to figure this out. There's a lot of information, but I'll get on, on the website or feel free to contact me and I can send you some information. All right. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Thank Ryan. Thank you so much. And as for me, uh, you can uh, like our Facebook page, the uh, ASAP Frontline Facebook page. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at EverydayMed or email me, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline. Mm -hmm.